ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly, and with us, as always, Mr. Nathan Bear. Nathan, how you doing, buddy? I'm just peachy, Mike. Happy to be here talking about Godzilla once again. That's right, and we are <laughs> hip deep in the high size series at this point. There's no going back. It, this is happening, and uh, you know, we're joining up because of the unique structure of uh, these particular Godzilla films, we are able to discuss two films per episode, which is really nice. Got some of the interconnected characters in there, and, you know, I think it really makes it more of a pleasing structure to sort of talk about one as it leads into the other, so on and so forth. With that in mind, today we're going to be discussing not only Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, 1991, but also Godzilla vs. Mothra, which came out immediately the next year, 1992. Um, both films feature monsters from Godzilla's past coming back in a big way. and uh, Sold uh, lots of toys. Sold many, many action figures and, and plush toys and uh, sticker books and video games. And, you know, there were some movies to go along with all this merchandise. So yeah. um, they... After Biollante came out, uh, Tanaka, uh, once again in the pro producer's chair, um, wanted to bring back a classic Godzilla foe, really. Yeah. So uh, he brought back Ghidorah. Yeah. Uh, pretty much the same Ghidorah. Just yeah. the, the, head is a little, the heads are a little bit more stable. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, pretty much just the same. Yeah. Same monster. Not really updated that much. Nah. Could, um, could have given him arms or something. Maybe give him a little more. A couple more legs. More legs. Thighs. Something. Not yeah. thunder thighs like Titanosaurus, but... Yeah, no. Nah. You know... have enough Crisco to... They didn't want to change him too much, because I, I understand the whole marquee value is like, oh, it's, you know, it's Ghidra from the past, so they're... They, they wanted to pretty much present him intact as he was from the Showa... Um, era right so you know it's it's it is what it is yeah. <laughs> um, but um yeah um i i think this movie is kind of uh in a way it kind of scares me looking at it now <laughs> uh I, I remember watching it in my friend's basement when we rented it with ninja scroll uh about uh i don't know 2004, maybe 2004, 2005, maybe even earlier than that. But anyways, it, it was it was back when Blockbuster still existed. Yeah, I um, saw this from Blockbuster as well. So uh, it, it was one of those movies that we enjoyed it, but I think we enjoyed it because we were watching it together, dubbed, and you could get something out of just the ridiculousness. Watching it again by myself in Japanese, it it just the jokes don't work. The fight scenes are great. Uh, but everything else is just kind of like, wow, yeah, this is this yeah. is like from from point A, I'm already thinking of how this plot does not make any sense. Well, they they tried something a little bit different this time. They tried to bring in a uh, time travel element, yeah, which is fine um, and and commendable, really. Um, but the thing about time travel is it's notoriously difficult to write because things get very complicated very fast. So you really have to make the conscious decision when you're watching this film, well, am I here 
am I along for the ride and I'm just here for the, you know, the monster fights or am I actually going to dissect what is really happening here as in regards to, you know, the plot and specifically the time travel elements? Because if you start to dissect the time travel stuff, things fall apart very, very quickly mm. or else, you know, it's implied that there are several very silly scenarios Yeah, um, that I'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, <laughs> you got, hey, writing time travel is tough. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's you kind of have to be a genius to pull it off. Um, so after the his success, I guess, with uh, Biolante, they brought back director uh, Kazuki Amori uh, to to helm uh, King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they also brought back uh, for his first entry in the High Sai series, Akira Fukube. Yeah, turns in a new score. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Juicy. I mean, A-grade Ifabuke. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it earlier, and you can't really say Ifukube, you can't call him out now and be like, in in 1991, and be like, oh, well, he's not, it's not all totally original music, and he's kind of resting on his laurels and bringing out themes and things from the past, because that's sort of what he always did. Yeah. You know, so it's like... I Kind of like John Williams. Like, if you listen to Return of the Jedi and you listen to the soundtrack to Harry Potter, it kind of... There are moments where they kind of yeah, blend together. You absolutely. Know? But the, it's good music. Right. I, I think the, the ratio... Because he always... He tried to have, you know, some older stuff or, or uh, pieces of music from past films, but he would always try a couple of new pieces for, for every film. At least up through destroy all monsters. Yeah. Um, but for this, by the time you get to this film, though, I think that ratio, which was once like forty sixty, is now ninety five percent music from old films, and then five percent new stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think the only new piece of music uh, in this film is when Emmy is engaging in a car chase slash foot chase mm. with the android. Uh, M11, and it just sounds like Fukube was just sitting at a piano with a microphone set up next to it and just hitting random keys. Yeah. It's not there's no structure to that piece of music, you know. Right. So, uh, you know, he was an old man at this point. So overall, uh, you know, he, he did a fine job on this. And then uh, on the second one uh, for the evening, Godzilla versus Mothra, he actually won the Japanese Academy Award for best score. Um, for that film. So, you know, both of these scores are, are very beloved and well-received. Um, I personally just think some of it sounds just, you know, very familiar. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly in uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, there's a reprise of the Destroy All Monsters theme, which seems just very laid back and almost like a performance you'd hear in like a hotel lounge or bar. which is like... And this is off of the Destroy All Monsters soundtrack from 1968. We're going to kind of take it cool and easy here and make it a little sophisticated. Hope you like it. The energy is is maybe toned down a little bit for the for the worse. So uh, it is what it is, you yeah. know. Um, it's, and it's very similar to, to some of the John Williams stuff in like the latter 
prequels or mm-hmm. even uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Sometimes composers just run out of new ideas. Yeah. Um, originally, when they were gearing up to make this film, they wanted to bring back uh, King Kong because it actually would have been almost exactly uh, the 30-year anniversary of King Kong versus Godzilla. However, Turner Entertainment still owned the rights to King Kong at that time, and it would have cost like equal or more than the budget of the film to purchase the rights back uh, to, to go ahead and have Kong fighting Godzilla. So they opted out of that, and then they tried to do Mecha Kong because they thought that maybe... You know, if he was a machine, it would be different or whatever. But it turns out if it's got the name Kong in it, it's still, you know, the copyright is still valid. Um, so Donkey Kong was out of the question. As yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, Donkey Kong. Yes. So um, that's why they settled on on Gidre. Kind of a scary subtext that uh, lurks throughout uh, King Ghidra is uh, in, in the late 80s and 90s, uh, nationalism was... Uh, kind of resurging its head uh, in Japanese society. Um, And the way World War II is portrayed, while I don't believe this was done on purpose, it kind of sums up the way Japanese feelings currently are towards the war. And that was Japan was not really in the wrong. They just happened to lose to the United States. Um. Whereas in the 50s, when the original Godzilla came out, it was all the directors, you know, who witnessed the war said, war is bad. It is an evil. It brought this destruction upon us. And that doesn't mean that they said, oh, yeah, we should have been nuked uh, and, you know, people starving. No, that was not what they were saying. But they were saying is that war is bad. There is no good that comes from it. Um, Whereas now the ideology has codified in a way where now when you make a movie referencing World War II in Japan, while it's not in any code, there is just this mentality that, uh, no, uh, we we just happened not to win. We weren't wrong. We were liberating Indonesia. We were kicking out the Westerners from China. These kind of things. So this kind of edges on that fine line of this nationalist resurgency. And that might have not have been intended, but it definitely, uh, King Ghidra received flack uh, for these, you know, subtle... Well, yeah, I mean, know. the Americans are not really portrayed in a, a great light, which is totally understandable. Yes. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I would say Godzilla versus King Ghidra, and I know a lot of people love it. I know a lot of people, it's their favorite Godzilla movie, and that's right. great. That's fine. Uh, it's not for me. I, I don't, I mean, it's it's fine, um, but I think it's a fascinating movie. I think it's really interesting for what it's saying about the people who made it. Yes. Uh, because you now have this thing where Godzilla is sort of, uh, you know, he was the, the monster. He was the Im- physical embodiment of the nuclear bomb back in the 50s and 60s. And then he became the trusted friend and protector and superhero in the 70s. And then he came back in the 80s and he was evil again and he was the villain. And, you know, and, and now he's morphed where he's this in between. He, right. It's he's he's become much like the hero of uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, he's become disconnected from 
time and space and and everything <laughs> he's just like they don't even know what he is he yeah. doesn't know what he is you know like he's a bad guy the next minute a good guy the next second like when you're watching the film it's pretty difficult to pin down if he's good or if he's bad and that's because throughout the narrative you know initially he's a threat and then the Futurians, uh, you know, prevent his existence, uh, and then swap him out for King Gedra. So he's a bat. He starts out as a villain, and then they have to bring him back to fight King Gedra in the you know bifurific nineteen ninety two or ninety one. Mm-hmm. So he's a good guy, sort of there, and then but now he's you know he defeats Gedra. And then he turns into a bad guy again, so then they have to fight him again. I wonder if Godzilla now represents, I, I think this is a big stretch, um, but just, just for the sake of argument, maybe, maybe he represents Japan's current feelings towards nuclear energy in the early 90s. Kurosawa, one of his last films, uh, co-directed by Shiro Honda, uh, had a segment uh, where a nuclear power plant explodes and... Uh, you know, this guy, it's a dream, and this guy's wandering around in this, like, land of demons, and everyone's like, oh, we should have we should have known this would lead to our destruction. So I think maybe this has something to do with, like, mixed feeling, both where Japan stands as a superpower without a, with a powerful defense force, but no, like, army. Right. They're allowed only to defend themselves, uh, and, but they have this huge economy that can, you know, I think even implied uh, by the Futurians, you know, take uh, control of a good half of the world through economic means. Right. To, so. to some background about the plot, in case you're uh, spectacularly confused, <laughs> which, by the way, that confusion will not be remedied by watching the film Godzilla <laughs> vs. King Ghidorah. Uh, essentially, what happens is... Uh, these uh, time travelers called the Futurians come to uh, Tokyo in 1991 and they consult this uh, journalist who is hasn't written a book about Godzilla's origins but is going to and, and will in the future. And um, they basically take him and uh, Goro from Godzilla vs. Megalon mm-hmm. Um, Professor Miyazaki, uh, but I'm just going to call him Goro because it's fucking Goro <laughs> from Godzilla vs. Megalon, and uh, a couple other folks, and they take them back to when the, I guess the High Sai uh, series Godzilla was created uh, back in the Bikini Islands in 1944, yeah. while the, as they call it, the Pacific War was still raging on. And essentially what their plan is, is to make it so Godzilla doesn't exist. There was a dinosaur on this island, a, quote, Godzillasaurus, unquote, which is a sort of smaller version of Godzilla. He doesn't have the spikes, or if he does, they're just very small kind of nubs. And he can take out an entire platoon with his tail. And he does. Yeah. (laughs) He does neutralize an entire uh, American... Uh, battalion at one point and saves the Japanese uh, battalion that's that's on the mm-hmm. island and it's a pretty interesting fight sequence although it sort of looks like the beginning of dinosaurs from the Jim Henson company <laughs> it's, it's a scotch I don't know that Godzilla Saurus suit is uh, yeah 
Ah, anyways, you know, we're only two years away from Jurassic Park yeah, at this point, so, so it's like... It's uh, like Baby's Secret of the Lost Legend. Yeah, it's like, you can get you, away with that. Right, exact. you don't have Patrick McGowan this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, star of The Prisoner. Anyways, um, <laughs> the point is, the Futurians claim that Godzilla will uh, attack Tokyo sometime in the 21st century. Uh, and turn it into a radioactive wasteland. So they proposed to go back to this island when Godzilla was still a dinosaur and could still be subdued and simply transport him away from the Bikini Islands before they are bombed in 1954 by the atomic bombs. Thusly, Godzilla will never be mutated. Mm -hmm. Thusly, he will never be created in his sort of indestructible, gigantic form. And, you know, there, there will be peace. Um... However, they do the old switcheroo, and they they do just that. They trans they teleport Godzilla off of this island. Uh, well, the Godzilla Saurus off of this island, and um, into the bottom of the Bering Sea. So I guess he can breathe underwater. Yeah. It's fine. And um, but when they're there, the Futurians and their little hover. Er, flying saucer it's a pretty big ship thing yeah thing and, and it's like a doctor it feels like doctor who yeah, where they whole, go inside and it's like seems bigger yeah and the scale keeps changing yeah, the scale the don't shot. get me started on the on the laziness of the scale but the, the point is um they release these three little guys called dorats mm-hmm. uh on, on which are little flying kind of uh they look like I don't know what plush toys. I'm sure yeah. they, they look like toys. I, I'm pretty sure they Takara- look like yeah. yeah or yeah. Takarada was thinking we are going to sell these yeah in every store yeah. <laughs> but you know, to the keen viewer, you'll notice that they have the sort of the gr- uh, gold scale uh, mm. belly and the uh, wings reminiscent of a certain villain from the Godzilla universe. Anyways, the Futurians release these Dorats and they go back to 1991 and all of a sudden Godzilla never existed but here's King Ghidorah and they reveal their plot which is in essence that in the 23rd century which is where they come from Japan has become such a powerful like it has become the dominant superpower and Japan um owns most of the world it has bought entire continents and basically they are this they have through their prosperity they've become this i guess maniacal force or whatever um and so the futurians are figure if they can just stop godzilla and then create king Ghidra to destroy japan or actually they don't want to they don't even want to destroy japan they just want to hold it hostage mm-hmm um and make sure it never becomes a superpower yeah and uh, then the balance will be back and the futurians are played by uh three well two uh shall we say uh caucasian <laughs> caucasian uh and you know their names are certainly as american as you can possibly get i mean there's Wilson, who is played by a guy, guy named Chuck Wilson, mm-hmm. and then Grenchko, which is played by a guy named Richard Berger, yeah. and then there's a third Futurian uh, called her name is Emmy Kano, mm-hmm. uh, and she is Japanese. She's played by Anna Nakagawa, but basically, I, you know, some some more stuff happens. Yeah, Godzilla and King Ghidorah fight about twice. Yeah, Godzilla blows the third head off yeah uh so he 
he in essence he saves Japan uh, by killing Ghidra, uh, King Ghidra, and then begins his own. Hey, now it's my stomping grounds. Right. So uh, he unleashes his normal amount of hell right. upon uh, Nagoya and Tokyo and wherever. Uh, but our friend Miss Emmy. Emmy, Miss Kano, Miss Kano goes into the future where they pick up Ghidra, and she comes back to the present in Mecha King Ghidra. Right. So uh, she battles with Godzilla, you know, and this is like you know Power Ranger stuff, where like yeah. she's like actually in Mecha King Ghidra, you know, feeling pain while she's trying to take out uh, Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and so she resorts to having to pick him up with grappling hooks and then fly him over the water where she then uh, evacuates, ejects. Right. She ejects, uh, leaving Mecha King Ghidra's body and Godzilla to fall to the bottom of the ocean. Right. But it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's just... Um, it's like Japan is the villain and the hero at the same time. Like yeah. they they are proposing that through their prosperity, they are just going to become this world power that yeah. is just going to dominate so much so that these, you know, uh, Caucasian-looking people <laughs> will have to come in and uh, fly. So basically the Americans and yeah. British alliance or whatever have to come in and like – you know, do these ridiculous things involving Ghidorah and, and, you know, to put things back into balance. And so it's like they're the enemy, but they're also the heroes. Yeah. It's it's incredibly confusing. And again, back in World War Two, that's kind of how the Japanese felt. It's just like, well, you guys have been taking over half the world. Now, once we try and take over half the world, right? You know, suddenly we're the bad guys. Um, and and and, and one the, of the, yeah, like one of the Futurians, Emmy. She is on board with this for like the first half of the movie, yeah. including, by the way, when Ghidra is destroying, uh, you know, cities and stuff. But then uh, Wilson's like, all right, now go to Hokkaido or now go to Nagoya or whatever. She's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to destroy Nagoya too or whatever. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, you destroyed a lot of cities or something. Like, it's very yeah. arbitrary. It's like, it's <laughs> she like, just turns it's like Superman where it's just like – Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the Richard Pryor Superman 3 syndrome where it's like Richard Pryor is clearly 100% the villain throughout most of that movie. And then in like the last act, he's like – Wait a minute! I don't want to be a bad guy. Now I'm Superman's best friend. It's the same thing with Ebby. Like she's just sort of like kind of switches, and then she reprograms M11, portrayed by Richard Scott Field. Yeah, and um, you know they they kind of try to undo some things. And as you said, she pilots Mecha King Ghidra. I sort of thought she should have gone down with the ship. I, I think yeah. she should have uh, should have sacrificed herself at the end. That would have been more appropriate because she did lead to the death of thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, the interesting thing about time travel, you got to keep up on that stuff. And you really, if you're writing a time travel script, you really have to think things out all the way. I, and, and when I said earlier that some silly scenarios sort of had to take place specifically, what I mean is when the Futurians released the three little Dorats, uh, on the, the Island in 1944, they would have had to wait what ten years for the bomb. They would. To- they had yes, exactly. They would have to wait ten years for the bomb, mm-hmm. and then you know they 
our, our, you know, our characters, because there's heroes and villains mixed in, jump back to 1991. And as I said, it's sort of like it's it, everything looks normal um, and, and modern, you know, and then then Gidra shows up and it's like, oh, here's King Gidra. He's attacking or whatever, which makes sense if you're three years old mm-hmm. and you only think of things in sort of a lateral. It's like, OK, now. Yes, the Dorads became Gidra, and now they're back in 1991, and now Gidra's attacking. It's like, but actually, what that means is that Gidra was formed in 1954 when the bombs went off on that island, and then just chilled out on that island for 38 years. And did they plan on, like, it fusing into three into a three-headed monster or were they expecting three different monsters i don't know what they were it's planning <laughs> but like it seems like the best case scenario did happen yeah. because they did fuse into one beast and that beast was apparently just sleeping or maybe just drinking like coconut milk and like taking it easy for uh, until 1991 and then it yeah. attacks and it's one of those things where it's like well it only makes sense because, like, well, the movie takes place in 1991 because yeah. it was made in 1991. So that's yeah. why. That's why that happens. But it's like, you know, yeah. it's just you, you got to try a little bit harder. What should have happened was they should have gone back to 1991 and it should have been like a barren wasteland. Like all of Japan should have been leveled and it should have been like Mad Max style where it was like, oh, in 1954, this thing called Gidra showed up and started destroying everything. And, you know, but that was 30 Eight years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there's nothing left or whatever. And and then you bring Godzilla back to fight for you know, over the ruins or whatever and yeah. bring it back to that nuclear parable. But instead, you know, it all falls apart yeah. when you start really thinking about it. So the action is great, but the plot just falls into so many holes. And uh, the acting of the Caucasian actors, especially if you watch the Japanese version... Um, We've been on the flamboyant side, even for my taste. Uh, just oh, and there's a a jab at Spielberg. Now, or not a jab, but uh, the a, a very, very awkward sort of uh, uh, you know script writing, you know film school, yeah, what, what uh, one hundred and one, you know. Oh, let's have a Spielberg reference yeah. in there. So they like uh, they they see the the sailors on the island who are uh, you know waiting to take it from the Japanese see the Futurian ship and they're like oh is that is that a is that it looks like it came from another world and then the captain says well this will just be our secret you can tell your son about it mr you know corporal uh, corporal spielberg yes sir now first of all it is true that spielberg's father did fight in world war ii he however was stationed in burma he was fighting the Japanese, but on the opposite side of the Pacific Ocean, flying B-29s into China. Like, right. So, I mean, if you kind of make a reference like that, at least have something behind it. Right. It just, it's funny when you're five, and it's like, ah-ha, 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 They uh-huh. got the yeah. name right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah. Now, now it's just like, ah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. You just did that. Yeah. Also, at one point, the uh, American military is uh, attempting to stop the Godzilla Saurus mm-hmm. uh, by bombing it, and they're from their battleship onto the shore where the Godzilla Saurus has chased the uh, the diminished, um, dwindling American battalion out onto the the beach. Mm-hmm. 
And they, they shoot it with a bunch of, you know, cannons and whatever, thousand pound guns. And uh, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the guys on the ship says, take that, you dinosaur. And it's just like, uh, it's one of those amazing things that only happens when you are lucky enough to be watching a movie made in a different country where all of a sudden, you know, someone who speaks your native language speak, you know, says something and it's just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, it was a success. Mm-hmm. It made 11 million dollars uh adjusted uh u.s dollars adjusted mm. for inflation um and i remember when it came out i remember seeing that scene actually that we were just talking about when the godzilla source is, is fighting the uh <clears throat> the american troops on the uh, bikini island uh, beachfront i remember seeing that clip on good morning america back in 1991 and just being like what they're making new Godzilla movies in Japan, you know, because I, I hadn't heard anything about Biollante. And this had been, uh, you know, three years since Biollante came out. So um, this was uh, – I remember the, thinking like this could be the coolest thing ever, you know, making a, a new Godzilla movie with modern techniques and stuff. But, you know, it, it satisfies, I guess. It, it, it fills its purpose and uh, the fight scenes are pretty spectacular. But, um, you know, all of the character stuff seems very confusing and Godzilla's place in the film keeps shifting. You don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. It's, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, man? I think that is an appropriate segue into a, another conundrum of confusion, and that is uh, following years, Godzilla versus Mothra. A.K.A. Godzilla vs. Mothra, Battle for Earth. Yes. So, uh... Which, I had, I had a much simpler take uh-huh. on Godzilla vs. Mothra, the Battle for Earth. And that is, I think the entire movie is a metaphor for uh, a marriage, a divorce, and a reconciliation. Hmm. I see Batra, which is the evil Mothra that is in this movie, and Mothra mm-hmm. as a couple who got divorced... And only through their fight against Godzilla at the end do they reconcile their differences and reunite. Yeah. Whereas, and this mirrors the two main characters who are a, a divorced uh, couple who, uh, by the end of the film, reunite. Yeah. And so I think it was way more straightforward on, on that level. But you still don't know who – that's only in like the last five minutes to yeah. become clear that Batra and Mothra are teaming up to fight Godzilla. Before that – I was convinced that Batra was the bad guy and Godzilla and Mothra would be teaming up to take him down. Yeah. Very, who knows? Yeah. I, normally with good writing, it's the parallels that make it uh, good. Uh, but when the parallels fail, fail to be obvious until the end, I, I think that kind of uh, takes a toll. Um, so with- it, it, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned writing because it was written by Biollante and King Ghidra uh, director – uh, Kazuki Amori. He, yeah. he went into screenwriting mode for this one. So mm-hmm. that's sort of... Uh, I think he had fallen in love with his own legend at this point. Yeah. I mean, he did reboot the franchise and they were bringing in money. So I guess just keep that gravy train going. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I mean, Japan is well known for long series. I mean, the longest series is the uh, Torosan, uh, which I believe is a, about 48 films. They also have, you know, Zatoichi, The Blind Swordsman. You have uh, Sleepy Eyes, which is about like a half uh, half Portuguese, half Japanese samurai. Um, and then you got uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. So, I mean, Japan is well known for doing serialized movies, and they tend to do them well. This, on the other hand, with the high size series, the problem is is that the multitude of talent that was with the original series is now in the high size series brought to only a few people. So there are only a few select people doing everything. Right. There isn't any new blood or new ideas or a few changes every now and then. It or if just... there are new ideas, they're quickly stomped out. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, but, um, I guess maybe we should just go into the plot and yeah. then we can... I mean, okay, first of all, they, <laughs> um, the main dude in this is, uh, he's a archaeology professor turned adventurer, a la a, a certain person named Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. He's introduced through a very... Poorly done homage to the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, this offends me for two reasons. The first reason is uh, it's supposed to be in an ancient tunnel, and they're clearly using red, like, construction bricks, like normal bricks Mm -hmm. that people would have used, you know, starting in the 1920s. (laughs) So, like, lazy. Yeah. I mean, specifically in this temple that yeah, this guy that's is supposed in. to be he's, an he's, ancient yeah, Indonesian temple. Exactly, it's supposed to be an ancient temple. He's going in there, and you have red bricks uh, in the walls. Okay, lots of them, and they look pretty new. Uh, the second thing, more personally, and this is me just sort of going inside to my own brain. Um, the guy who did the music on 1985 was dismissed from the series because they said that his uh, contributions were too Americanized and specifically too much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've brought that up before, but that's fine. You know, okay, I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do. But if you're going to do that, then don't two movies later uh, have one of the characters be Indiana Jones and devote like half the movie to, you know, doing a ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and then, with like a straight face. And then uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah. And then back to Raiders. It yeah. just, it keeps going, and, like, uh, some countries... It's so like, blatant. Yeah, and, and like, some like... countries like Hong Kong have been able to take, like, American concepts like Back to the Future and make it their own. This isn't making it their own. This is saying... This is filming the scenes with a 60th of the budget with a Japanese person in it. Yeah. Just being like, hey, we saw that movie, too. You know, <laughs> like... Just like, don't you wish you could be watching that movie right now? Right. It's like, and again... That's fine. You can leave that in there. Just bring back the good music from 1985. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just don't do the most frustrating possible combination of the... Whatever. Uh, I guess we should say that Godzilla vs. Mothra 1992 was and continues to be the most successful uh, film in the franchise, if you don't adjust for inflation back to 1962, if you do that, then it's King Kong versus Godzilla mm-hmm. um, is still the, the the most popular. But if you do, or I'm sorry, if if you don't adjust for inflation, this is 
this is the tops. It made uh, $20 million uh, worth of tickets uh, in, in 1992. Uh, it was the second highest grossing film of the year uh, behind Jurassic Park, mm. uh, which I guess they were counting the 1993 fiscal year. And it was released in uh, late December of 1992, so it would have been right in there. But it, <laughs> it beat them to the punch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and and it remains one of the most popular films in the series, which is sort of strange because it's really uh, – I would say it's a combination of this adventurer, Indiana Jones guy, and Mothra. Yeah. It's, it's really a Mothra movie. With half of the plot of King Kong right. versus Godzilla. It's this crazy – yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It's, it's the – you know, I think somehow uh, Kazuki Amori was so pissed off – that he couldn't do a remake of King Kong versus Godzilla in the last movie that it just haunted his dreams and that it really influenced his writing uh, of this script because, like you said, it is this bizarre brundlefly combination of like Mothra versus Godzilla and King Kong versus Godzilla. And it's just sort of, uh, I mean, sort of a lazy greatest hits of them. And just, I don't know. And wasn't it true that around this time that Mothra had uh, her own series, or did that come after this film? Yeah, I mean, Toho was so pleased with the success of this that Mothra was allowed to once again break free of the Godzilla series, and she had her own series for a while, the rebirth of Mothra of 1, 2, and 3. Not my cup of tea. Yeah. I found Godzilla vs. Mothra to be an entertaining film, and it had a lot of monster action in it. Uh, certainly a lot more than, you know, Biollante even, or, uh, you know, the, the High Side series definitely has a lot more throughout the monster battles, and, and it just seems like there's, by and large, more time uh, spent with the monsters, and it's more evenly distributed throughout the film. Mm-hmm. But, again, the script just doesn't quite do it for me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it feel, it feels too rushed and too much of a combination, I think. Uh, so, it's like, especially for those of us who have seen the previous films, maybe the intent was homage, but it really doesn't feel like that now yeah. with time. Um, it really just feels like too many genres being mixed together. Um, And almost uh, with characters who were like a grittier version of their doubles in the previous films, like uh, the, the big boss in this movie is supposed to be what the, what what was the character in King Kong versus Godzilla? Taco. Mr. Taco. So he's like a dark version of Mr. Taco. He's the gritty reboot version of Taco. Yeah. So, and, and now Taco was beautiful, slapstick comic relief to a film about giant monsters. Now, his gritty reboot isn't like Heath Ledger as the Joker, where he's demented, but you still get a laugh out of him. This guy is just, I hate nature, I want money, die. The guy's just an asshole. He he may be the biggest asshole in the entire series, and that's including the controller from uh, Monster Zero. At least he had some compassion. He's just inexplicably, like... Insane and suicidal, like the 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 Mothra's twin fairies, which are referred to as the Cosmos in this installment. It has been proven time and again 
even within the narrative of this film, not uh, completely ignoring all the other films, because again, in this reset timeline, now this is the first time anyone's seen Mothra. So um, even then, it's like established two or three times that if you kidnap the Cosmos, aka the Twin Fairies, you know, Mothra will find them and destroy everything in her path to try and get them, you know? This is, like, happens two or three times, and then by the third time that this guy is talking about doing this in the movie, his subordinate finally grows a pair. It's like, this is crazy, you know? And, mm. and that character's just like, you fool, shut up, you know? It's just so generic and so weak and so played out and just, like, just do something new, for God's sake! Especially when you have recurring characters who end up doing basically the same thing they were doing in the previous film. You've got Psychic Girl... Miki. Um, yeah, Miki. She is, you know, she at the beginning of the film, before Indiana <laughs> Jones, uh, a meteor crashes and basically wakes up Godzilla. Right. Um, so she's the one who's basically making everyone aware of this, because, you know, that that's her that's her role in these films. Right. Um, Miki, once again played by Megumi Odeko, is a great tool for the screenwriters in these films because she's like, she can communicate with Godzilla halfway through, uh, Godzilla versus Mothra. She begins to communicate with Mothra and just knows what Mothra is thinking and can go to places and be like, Oh, Mothra's going to be over here now or whatever. And they're like, Oh, well she's the ESP girl. So, you know, that it's just such an easy tool, but at the <laughs> but same, she has no personality. Yeah, and then the military people who in the past films have which witnessed you know people die at the hands of these monsters. As soon as they see Mothra, it's oh we have to blow this thing out of the water like right now. And, and even though it didn't work on Batra, who comes out of the meteor and then goes on land. Um, so, so it, it doesn't work on Batra, doesn't work on Godzilla, and they think, oh, well, no, this, th this thing, it'll clearly work, you know, third time's a charm right. on this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, they, they go to this, uh, uh, basically, because, uh, Mr. Jones Jr., uh, d decides to steal a statue, he's arrested by the Indonesian authorities, and, uh... His ex-wife and our military heroes from uh, the last film come, uh, as well as a representative of Happy Pharmaceuticals or whatever the fuck is the villainous <laughs> enterprise this time. Uh, they come and say, well, uh, you're going to be in jail for 15 years, or alternatively, you could go to this island, which uh, we plan to uh, mine the living shit out of uh, in exchange for your freedom. So uh, he does the smart thing and says, yes to giving everyone a tour of this island uh, with his ex-wife. Yes. Um, and if you're watching the dub version, it's preposterously confusing as to like whether or not they are married, if they've ever met each other before, whatever. Because like before she comes into the room, this guy's like, no, I'm bringing in this hot girl, you know, and she's yeah. single. And, like, and then he doesn't, he doesn't act as though he recognizes her. The first time they meet. And then, like, three scenes later, like, I hated being married to you. And you're just like, what the fuck is happening? And then, you know, she, she brings a letter to for, da uh, for yeah, from, from their daughter. So this guy's an absentee father as yeah. well. And so, and you're supposed and he, by the way, he runs out on his daughter, like, three times in this movie. And you're, like, still supposed to be rooting for this guy, because at the end, he's like, well, I guess I'll be your dad now, or whatever. It's just like, what am I watching here? You know, like, this is unearned. This, you know, like, I hate this character. 
I, anyways, yeah, so the important thing yeah. is that Akira Takarada is paraded out. Yes, in this movie, and he's like, "I was in the original Mothra versus Godzilla. Now I'm in this. I'm wearing a suit. Uh, my hair looks the same, and I'm saying important-looking things." And that's all that I'm here for. Yeah, he's just hovering over everybody, you know, just, you know, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. More bombs? Absolutely. That's correct. You... And he's there to look concerned. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> during, you know, when the military getting slaughtered. I will say that I did appreciate a couple of things about this movie. I do think Batra, well, Batra is a stupid idea. <laughs> I like the idea um, on like a six-year-old level of just like an evil Mothra, because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's a classic sort of science fiction trope of the evil version of you know a character, and it dates back to like the Mirror Mirror Spock, who's yeah. like he's, you can tell he's evil because he's he has a mustache, <laughs> you know, and like so just like the idea of an evil Mothra, and you know what we can talk crap about the movie all day. However, the initial scene where uh, Batra attacks Nagoya is – I was shockingly impressive mm. and, and stirred me out of my stupor that when I was watching this movie, I was sort of like, oh, Jesus. Then that scene happened. I'm like, oh, OK. Well, you got something going here. And like Batra's going to be this new villain and you know they, they had some really kind of cool destruction and they got some new Mazer cannons in there. And it was – you know they spent a lot of money on this and this is like – you know, when you go back to like even the end of the um, Showa series when they were like running out of money, you know, this is a quantum leap from that as far as like investment in money and like the building of the models and all the destruction works great. And that scene was that scene was awesome. Yeah. Um, I just wish more of the movie could have been like that. Yeah, it, it spirals out of control when we get to the island and they do another Indiana Jones, this time a Temple of Doom, we're on a rickety bridge reference. They fall and find their way up. Uh, they find this giant egg. I'm making quotation marks because I know you can see me. Um, and then uh, these two little girls, who we totally have not seen before, uh, come out and say, we are the Cosmos. Uh, and then they go on and on about how who Mothra is and how there was this ancient society, Mu, possibly. Possibly Mu. Possibly Mu. I think uh, it's Mu. Yeah. Which is odd, because Mu means nothingness. So, uh, anyways. Um, the So, uh, apparently, Mothra used to control the world and everything was great, but the civilization got really mad, so Mother Nature created Batra, to fight the humans, but then Mothra wanted to defend the people that were blowing up the earth, so Mothra fought Batra, Batra went into space, and then that civilization disappeared. Uh, yeah. Makes perfect sense yeah. uh, for that five-minute explanation of everything. Right. Um, the exposition download. Yeah. So it was basically, uh-huh, uh-huh, right. These two are cute. Let's take them and the egg <laughs> back to Japan. <laughs> uh, so, and they do. And there's even less explanation this time as to how they get that egg on the aircraft carrier because it was sort of implied in King Kong versus Godzilla that they forced the natives at gun point to build the raft yeah uh but this time the now you know several months worth of excavating and, and transportation has taken place where now the egg is odd the thing yeah i know i mean yeah. the movies are ridiculous so it's yeah. pot shots but uh, 
Yeah. I got so little to grasp onto as far as new ideas. So Godzilla appears like like in uh, when King Kong, it, almost identical to the scene where King Kong awakens in uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, and then is about to blow up Mothra's egg out on the ocean. Yeah, yeah. out on the ocean when Mothra hatches, and you think you've seen this all before, then. Batra appears. So now you've got this really odd threesome, yeah, three-way in battle. Water, it doesn't yeah. really work. The only thing that's kind of interesting, or I'm going to use the word shocking here, is that you get to see how big Batra's larval stage is. And it's like bigger than Godzilla. Like, it's enormous. And so, you know, if you're watching this for the first time, you're thinking, well, Batra's going to be like bigger than Biollante when it finally reaches its full moth form or bat form or whatever. Yeah. Um, not the case. Yeah, no. Uh, in fact, uh, like the spaceship in the previous movie, Batra's shape and size kind of depends on which shot you're looking at yeah. um, and where you decide to pause your uh, video when you go to pee. But um, so he, he uh, so this Three-way battle ends in basically a tie. Batra and Godzilla fight. Uh, Godzilla, you know, is just like, oh, fuck this shit. And uh, goes away. Mothra gets his ass handed to him numerous times. And Batra says, fuck y'all, I'm going to Nagoya. So, uh, as you mentioned, he unleashes a beautiful amount of hell. Uh, in a miniature explosion sequence that is, you know, that that's movie magic right there when it looks so real and so convincing. And, and trying some, and they tried some different things. I, I noticed particularly for this sequence, they tried some things that I had never seen before uh, in regards to specifically Nagoya Castle and the mm-hmm. gates of Nagoya Castle, where they actually have real people running and the, the bottom half is uh is the real gates and they've been lined up with a model of the upper section of the gates so batra's like crashing the top of it and um it doesn't really work because they have to kind of blue screen in the destroyed parts of the gate onto the actual real footage of the gate so yeah as soon as debris starts falling down like when it crosses that that line about halfway through the screen, it starts to just turn into like blue screen fragments mm-hmm. or whatever. So they have to cut the shot pretty quickly, but at least they were still trying something yeah. new, which I appreciate. Yeah. That's good. And, and again, this whole sequence, uh, you know, very well done. I'm going to say it's the highlight of the film. So um, we find out that uh, the representative of uh, Evil Pharmaceuticals Company apparently actually doesn't care. Uh, about anybody but himself. Right. And uh, with the now loss of Mothra's egg because it hatched, God forbid, he's worried that he's going to lose faith at uh, evil pharmaceuticals. So uh, he decides the best thing to do is to kidnap the two six-inch girls and take them to uh, Dr. Evil or whatever the fuck his name is. Taco 2. Right. Uh, evil Taco. Uh, and, and Evil Taco doesn't care, by the way, if Mothra destroys the whole city. Yeah. Uh, like trying to find the cosmos. He's reached a level of evil normally reserved for villains who have hair sprouting out their sides like Doc Brown or Professor Wiley from the Mega yeah. Man series or uh, Dr. Robotnik. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, yes, destroy the whole city. I don't care. Like this guy is like worse than Hitler at this yeah. point. It's like Nelson. Someone killed this guy. 
It's like Nelson in the original Mothra was a bad guy, a very, very bad guy, but with the political subtext going around him and the fact that he flees to another country. Realistica. Yeah. uh, That adds a little more intrigue instead of it's just, I'm going to sit here and watch this whole city burn around me. I don't care. I'm just evil. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not interesting. It's just, uh... So, yeah, uh... Mothra comes and and tries to locate the the cosmos and destroys uh, half of the city mm. and um, and then the uh, Japanese defense force tanks and their sturdy aim destroy the other half of the city <laughs> when they uh, try to, to 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 take it down they well they never learn yeah um, and the cosmos tell Mothra hey it's okay just go back to the you know go back to the sea and everything will be okay mm-hmm. and. Uh, so, yeah, I I don't know. And then well, it just gets so confusing. Yeah, it gets very confusing. Then so Mothra then goes to the Diet Building. And oh yeah, builds a cocoon. That's um, right. I completely forgot about that. Point. Well, I know because at one point they tell him to go back, and then it's just like, oh no, wait, come 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 back and rescue us. It's, right. it's just like it. What? Um, but uh, yeah. So he builds a cocoon. Uh, which inevitably hatches, uh, and uh, he becomes Mothra full form. Um, then Godzilla begins to make his way to land, and it's, well, we can't have... We, we've already destroyed half of the city. We can't let him destroy the last third of what's left. So uh, Mothra uh, begins attacking Godzilla, starts to lose. Batra comes, and... Because of Psychic Girl, Miss uh, M- Miki, uh, she is able to, I believe, contact with Batra and convince him, you know, hey, maybe help Mothra, maybe, you both right. fly, you both, you know. So Mothra, with, or Batra, without going into a chrysalis form, decides to just sprout wings, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm big Batra. It's now. very much a Power Rangers moment, where yeah. it's just like... <laughs> You have that sort of uh, visual, you know, energy bubble or whatever form over it, and then it just transitions into the other form, and it's mm. just like, okay, all right. I mean, this sequence is great, but between Mothra and Batra beating, you know, handing Godzilla's ass to him. Yeah, Mothra um, has upgraded laser powers now yeah. for whatever reason. So it, it's just it's nice. I mean, this sequence I think is worth it, especially if you're watching it with friends. And you've downed half a case of Pap's Blue Ribbon. Uh, <laughs> sorry, PBR. Uh, and <laughs> so then, almost identical to the ending of King Ghidra, Mothra and Batra team up to carry uh, Godzilla back into the sea. Right. Um, but Godzilla starts gnawing at Batra's uh, very vulnerable throat. So... Uh, Delivering some choice shots. Yeah. Uh, the jugular. <laughs> so they end up dropping Godzilla, but Batra goes... I don't know if it's willingly or unwillingly, and we're supposed to see Batra as like a martyr, like Batra's finally become good, but they fall into the sea. Yeah. And... It's almost the exact same shot as when King Ghidorah and Godzilla fall into the sea. Yeah. It's like, it looks like it's from 200 feet up. I hope no one was killed. <laughs> I hope no one was actually in those suits, because that's like, you know, you could break your neck. Um, 
And and then yes, Mothra kind of makes a, a seal around them because the filmmakers saw another uh, t- chance to rip off Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and so Mothra flies in a circle about a hundred feet above the water, um, um, and the sort of the Mothra symbol kind of comes down in the magical sort of light mm-hmm. or whatever. I guess sealing Godzilla underground. Then it cuts Magic. to an airport <laughs> field where the cosmos revealed that Batra was going to stop a meteor that was going to hit the planet in 1999, but now Mothra is going to go do it because they talked to one another about it. Yeah. Uh, Mothra made a promise to do it. Yeah. I don't know. That that screeching sound is the sound of the High Side series going off the rails. Yeah. Uh, which, which it does, but um, much for amusement, of course. Right. Uh, but uh, this this is basically a way of saying Mothra's cool, but he will not be in the next few films. Right. It's like this is this is this is where we're going. So Mothra leaves, and that's the end of the movie. Um. So yeah, so these two together parallel each other quite well, at least in ending. Um. Yeah, it's really hard to describe. It's they're very entertaining, but it seems so. It, it, you know what it's like. I was thinking about it. It's sort of like, you know, these films, uh, with Ghidra and and again with Mothra. You know, you have the look of the of the films from the '60s, and you have the sound, certainly with Fuku-Bay's presence there, and he's parading out his old hits, and that's great. But it's it's sort of like. The difference between seeing the Beach Boys in 1965 and then going to see them in 2003 at the St. John's Mint Festival in, <laughs> in St. John's, Michigan, um, you know, where some of them are dead, and but they're, they're still playing their songs, they're still playing the hits, you know, and it's, and you know what, it's still going to be fun. There's yeah. some entertainment there. I'm not going to say that I watch these movies with a frown on my face. There's good stuff going on, but I just felt as though I'd seen it better and tighter. Yeah. Uh, before, you know, and, and you just, it, that feeling is really inescapable. Yeah. Um, but the one advantage, as we've mentioned before, is that this series at least has continuity of characters. Unfortunately, they don't really evolve, but we do have the same familiar faces. That returning. I do appreciate. Yeah. I do appreciate so, that. And I, and watching them all together in chronological order like this. For the first time, you really start to get okay. This is this person moving forward, and it's it actually does make it more rewarding. Yeah. And um, you know what reward there is to get out of it. That that is the way to do it, I think. Well, it all leads up to the uh, last two of the High Size series, Godzilla, or sorry, last three. We've got uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Two. Two. Godzilla's Boogaloo. Uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. And then we come to Godzilla versus Desotoroya. Yeah. So we'll be one. talking about Mechagodzilla 2 and Space Godzilla next week. Um, and we're going to have to give Destroyer. Destroyer uh, clearly deserves its uh, an we, entire episode devoted yeah, to we're it. We're going to need a lot of uh, Mountain Dew Code Red. Yeah. Uh, um, there's there's so much to unpack from that one. But, um, you know, just wanted to say thank you for your continued support and everyone listening and, uh, you know, putting stuff up on the Facebook page and pointing out articles and things and 
and potential things to talk about. You know, we appreciate it. Any sort of interactivity is 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 awesome. Um, and again, we do have we are up on on Facebook um, at the Godzilla Pod War Hour. We are on Twitter um, at Michael Kelly at Godzilla Pod War. And we, don't forget about that uh, what, Tumblr. Tumblr. I think I think it's all porn. Is now. it Tumblr? This is probably is that the name of the site? Tumblr. I don't know. I, I'm tumbling along. Something. It, so Tumblr plunder. I think something. it's Tumblr. Tumblr. Right. Yeah, something. Oh, the other one with the T. Well, as you can see, we haven't updated it in like two months. And we will update it. We will figure out how to sign in and update it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, let's see. You know, some exciting times. I personally am very excited about uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 because, wait for it, this is the last of the original series. The original, I mean like you know, the ones made in Japan that I have not seen. I've never seen uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. It's sort of the last one that I was sort of waiting to check out due to extreme lack of interest. So, um, you know, well, I know that baby Godzilla is involved. Yes, and a uh, certain Rodan that has been updated. Fire Rodan, Fire I know, Rodan. is involved. Yeah. Um, which doesn't really make sense why I wouldn't have seen this, because I love... Rodan, it's one of my favorite kaijus, so I am definitely looking forward to this one. Finally, crossing this off off the list, and talking about it here with you next week. And then Space Godzilla is garbage. It is pure garbage. So uh, you know we can talk about that as well. Alrighty, folks. Well, thank you once again for listening to us, and uh, remember. It's not the size of the podcast that counts, it's the motion of the... That uh, doesn't even make fucking sense. Oh, yeah, and we have another new spot up on YouTube uh, yes. that my brother made, and it's very cool. It's from it's from episode two. It's funny. Again, get that out to people if you are trying to convince them to watch the or listen to the show. Yep. It's, it's, a good, it's a good little um, sampler for it. And you know what? Subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, rate us. Yeah, for and, free. For Absolutely free. Absolutely free. There is no price better than free. Right. Unless you're selling something. Right. But if if you are on the receiving end, you, you should definitely go for free. I can say, uh, you know, in just a sort of general the world of Godzilla update, um, you know, it is now March 3rd? March 4th. It is now March 4th. So we are a scant two and a half months away from, you know, you know who is coming back in a big way. So, And we're it, talking about Brian Cranston, right? We are com- we are talking about Brian Cranston, so you're going to start to see the hype machine engaging. I already saw a Snickers commercial. Yes, a uh, good one, a pretty awesome one. Uh, so I don't want to get any further into it because we'll start immediately dating <laughs> the podcast uh, to this week. But the point is, very exciting time to be a G fan.